0: Thank everybody and officially welcome you to today's session. Um, my name is Kalia Garrido, and I head up events and marketing here at Great Data Minds. Uh, a little bit about us: Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists, and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. We do this in a couple different ways. The first is that we have our services arm, and that's happening over at gdminnovationlabs.com. This is our strategic planning, education, the deployment of critical data projects. Um, And then we also have greatdataminds.com, which is where we run all of our events, just like the great event we're about to have today, as well as produce a lot of um, content videos. It's kind of where the conversation around data is happening for us. Um, A little bit of housekeeping before we get going. This is a webinar, so of course your cameras and microphones are off, but we welcome conversation. Um, We would love you to use the chat or the Q&A if you have a question as we're going through our conversation today, but we'll also reserve a little bit of time at the end of the session to um, have more of a formal Q&A if you'd like to hold your question until then. Um, and so today's event we are excited for, this is our next episode in our Leadership Perspective series. And this is where we seek out and find some of the most innovative um, data and analytics leaders across the globe. Uh, and today, uh, the, this will be no exception to the stress on innovation here. We have Heidi Bailey joining us today as our special guest. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me today.
0: We are excited, so I'm going to go through your bio. Okay, ready for this? So we know that you're the VP of Futures and AI at the Integer group, at the Integer Group, and that's great. You also have a BA in International Business with minors in Chemistry and then German mm-hmm. from right. Texas Tech University. That's really cool. Cool blend, different. I didn't mm-hmm. expect the German, but awesome. <laughs> She Mm -hmm. also holds certificates for Futurist Thinking through the Institute of Future and Digital Acceleration from Southern Methodist University. And perhaps most interestingly, is that she is an unabashed, sneaker-collecting, travel-loving coffee enthusiast who has dedicated her life's work to understanding and predicting what's coming next, except when it comes to her daughter and her next sentence out of her mouth, because that is always a surprise, and I can understand (laughs) that. I got one of my own, too. And of course, joining us today, we have our very own Mike Lampa. He is our Chief Analytics Officer here at Great Data Minds and GDM Innovation Labs. Uh, Mike has got a boatload of strategic and practical experience in data and analytics, both as an enterprise user and consultant. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Mike, please do take it away.
2: Thank you, Kalia. Hi to you? Welcome. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you,
1: Mike. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited about this conversation as well.
2: Yeah, let's get at it. So Heidi, who are you? Tell me a little bit of the background and the context that brought you to this point in your career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the advertising um, industry for the majority of my career. Um, And through that was always kind of involved in technology data, what's coming up, what's new, what are the new technologies being released. And I um, I essentially, every time a new technology was released or anything interesting in the marketplace was happening and I would always put it my hand, right. And I would say, Hey, I would like to do this. I think this is super interesting. And people would, you know, people would kind of step away and say, I don't really understand it. I don't want to do it. And I would be the one that'd be like, Hey, this makes me uncomfortable. I want to do it. Right. <laughs> um, anything that would drive some form of change, or I found kind of interesting, are the things that i would then try to be part of and i through kind of practicing that and always always wanting to do something new and different i started to do a lot of research and reading of of the things that are happening in the marketplace Mm -hmm. Um, and um and kind of got into the position i am today right through various projects i I kind of raised my hand on a pretty significant data project um, many years ago. And through that, started to work with really interesting technologies back then, you know, like auto machine learning was kind of a new thing back then, because um, things were still being very much hand-coded. And um, and that basically led me to where I am today, where I'm kind of leading, you know, AI, but also kind of futurist thinking uh, for the integer group.
2: So there is a Earth of technology out there supporting your industry, isn't it? I mean, guy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, right at the beginning, it was like programmatic media, right? Like, it was mm-hmm. it was fairly new, and people were like, "Well, what is what is supply side? What is the demand side? And then, how do you take advantage of that? Or how do you even integrate this technology into the agency landscape, right?" Mm-hmm. And so, because it was fairly automated, you know, it did scare some people, but those who took advantage of it right in the early early years obviously yeah. reap uh, reap the benefits right and so yeah. you know anything kind of like that um, I was like yeah yeah let me try it let me let me do it let me get yeah. hands on keyboard let me see how this works uh-huh. and essentially that I mean really though I think I was very very lucky to be able to work for a lot of different companies and organizations who kind of supported that kind of thinking too you know I think that's super super important Um, because you have to have that support, right? If you, if you do have new ideas or you want to drive a little bit of innovation, you have to have some sort of, you know, leadership that's standing behind you and kind of pushing you and helping you. Mm -hmm. you So I've been super, super lucky, um, in the companies that I've worked for that have allowed me to do that.
2: Yeah. Because transformation is incredibly challenging. so, yeah, having that leadership backing is so, so fundamentally critical. So, so tell us a little bit about the integer group.
1: Yeah, so the integer group is one of the world's leading commerce agencies. Um, and we're focused on um, we're focused on any spaces that drive any kind of commerce efforts, right? So anywhere where any kind of transaction can happen is where we feel that we have the right to play, whether that is online, offline, brick and mortar, um, digital, you know, social commerce, different things like that. Um, and we are a key member of the Omnicom uh, Commerce Group, and so that's kind of how we ladder up into the the Omnicom family. Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I am kind of curious um, with with COVID and, and everybody transforming their their sales model, really their sales channels. would you get? Did you guys see a, a, an input, impact on your your volume of business?
1: Well, I think we were very lucky in that a lot of our clients um, that we are working with are were considered kind of vital during the COVID um, uh, during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of their efforts were accelerated in terms of making sure that we were able to get the product to the people as needed. And so we we were really lucky to work with really great clients. Um, and so the business was not impacted, um, mm. basically. Yep.
2: yeah, it's amazing. So tell, can you uh, share a little bit about your team? How many people do you manage? What, what does the team look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My team is actually fairly small. I only have six people on my team. Um, and, uh, I, that's kind of, uh, done on purpose, right? Because for me, it's all about being able to be smaller, to be nimble, speed to market, being able to, to um, bring solutions to clients very, very quickly. Uh, because in this environment, especially because it's changing so rapidly and quickly, mm-hmm. you can't sit there for a year and, and try to drive data initiatives. It has to happen instantly. And so when um, I basically started the team, I think it was three or four years ago, I purposely designed it um, to be rather small. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to instead bring in, um, you know, technologies and automation to see how we could scale very, very quickly. And so even though we're a team of six, we can, we basically act as a team of 20. Mm. And the way that we are kind of set up is also kind of interesting. So yes, I have analytics, data science capabilities on the team, but at the same time, I've also brought in uh, research and innovation. And so we kind of sit in this very kind of agile group. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can move very, very quickly we can and the reason research is on my team as well, is so that we can also run experiments very quickly, if you do have a product you're trying to bring to market like an AI solution or, or machine learning model or whatever it might be. How can we experiment with it very quickly and then show its viability and then bring it to market. Mm -hmm. Um, So they help us, uh, she helps us set up our experiments. Um, and then innovation, in order to you know, for newer for new thinking, and also for kind of product management and different things like that. Um, so that's kind of how our team sits, and and that's kind of how we act.
2: So did, did you created this group.
1: I did. Yep. Uh-huh. I started. A, I started this. Um, this. I basically pitched uh, my role to our global CEO Ellen Cook again, someone who was super, super, super supportive. Uh, of my initiatives and she allowed, she said, okay, well design, uh, design a team and see what that looks like. And so I was able to, um, you know, I took a step back. Um, I was allowed to do some research and some learning. Um, And I started to um, look at how, you know, the bigger Amazon, Alibaba, like how are these companies setting up their, their analytics teams and how are they, and their AI and machine, their data science teams, how are they uh, able to get products out to market so quickly, where other companies it takes so long. And mm-hmm. then, based off of some of the work that they were doing and based off some of the other things I was reading and, and learning about, I basically designed the team in this way.
2: Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned uh, delivering products quickly. Can you give me a feel? What's the order of magnitude of quickly?
1: Yeah, quickly two days. Oh, essentially two days.
2: Oh, oh man, that's yeah. some velocity there. Yeah. My goodness. Oh, so you had you had to have enabled yourself with some technology to do that.
1: Absolutely, so yeah. just to give you kind of an example, I mean, obviously data processing takes takes the longest time and still does, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but we've partnered with, um, we partnered early on with uh, with DataRobot, which is, as you are familiar, an AI cloud mm-hmm. provider. Uh, mm-hmm. They do automated machine learning, but also auto data processing. They've basically um, automated the entire da- uh, lifecycle of um, of data science, right? All the way through to deployment applications and different things like that. And so we work with them pretty heavily um, on a lot of the different projects, but what it allows for us to then do is just take as an example, you know, if you are if you are creating, let's just say a marketing mix model or something like that, it'll take you months to create one, depending on how complex the data set is, obviously and different things like that. <laughs> um, And then for us, essentially, if we have the data, we have it formatted just right. We can basically spin one up in about two days, and have it up and running and adding efficiencies to clients within those two within that two day uh, timeframe. So very very quickly. And then if it doesn't work, right, like we then are out to market and experimenting within a week, and and then as we as we as we experiment and we start to gather the data back. We are then able to make the changes very, very quickly uh, to the model. If we need to retrain it or add more data, whatever that may look like, and then um, get it back into production and up and running. And so that's sure. kind of how we work yeah, very, very quickly.
2: Yeah, you must have some happy clients. My goodness. Talk, <laughs> about, so it. Talk about agility. That's really awesome. So share with me some of the cool data products that we do it. So you, you mentioned these machine learning models, which I you know kind of I categorize those as analytic products, right? And, and rolling yeah. out some software to, to do something. Um, what's some of the cool stuff you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the one that I mentioned is a marketing mix AI, obviously. Um, that one's really interesting because you can, you know, if you if you do think about traditional marketing mix models, it does take um, you know, about a couple months for you to get it up and running. Um, and at that point in time, the market has already shifted, right? And it's always based <laughs> off of historical data. Obviously there's companies that are doing things more in a predictive fashion as well. Um, but with, the, with the, the product that we have, you can essentially run it um, in real time. So as we're getting real-time data back from how media is performing, we can be optimizing every single day across uh-huh. channels, agra- across different tactics, across different retailers. And so it's very nimble, and and it take it's very quick. You, you, I mean, it's you know it takes two days to build, so quickly you can put it quickly into production. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking into account the real time environmental factors that might be affecting media performance. And so some of those things are. Um, that's one of the ones that we are working on. Um, the other one that's kind of interesting is a creative AI solution. Um, this one kind of came out of an idea I was sitting in a creative briefing and you know the the creative team was going back and forth should the text be blue should it be black should this color be red should it be blue and i was like there should there has to be some sort of data solution that can account for you know what are the right colors to use should you be putting two products versus one product should you be putting you know what should your backdrop be that kind of thing mm-hmm. and so um One, I think one of the largest underused data sets today are images. There is so much data in images, right? Especially if you can tie them to some sort of performance metrics. And so being able to do that, translating the images into metadata and then tying it to performance metrics um, allows for you to then essentially run uh, prescriptive scenarios prior to even going out in the marketplace, understanding that if you change this color from red to blue, for example, then you know you are going to drive your conversions down if you increase the logo or you put two products versus one how is that going to affect your your success and so that is the that's the one project that we're kind of working on right now that's super interesting mm-hmm. uh, and that i'm very excited about
2: interesting now i'm getting all emotional <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: that's very cool oh man so in this incredibly nimble and agile world where you are pushing a lot of velocity all these all these up these capabilities out to your clients um what keeps you up at night what are your worries
1: um yeah i mean going back to my daughter definitely my daughter right because <laughs> you never know what they're going to do next especially since she's just entering the teenage years but mm. i mean truly there's a lot of things right i think one of one of my passion points especially through covid has been the future of work um, like where's that where's that going right and if if uh, if I or or other people are starting to deploy some of these AI solutions in the marketplace, you know how does that affect uh, my coworkers? How does it affect the people in the company? And so I think those types of things have to be thought through very very quickly and and effectively because. You can't just put an AI in production and expect people to continue to operate the way that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's automating some of the business or some of the things that they're doing. And I mean, not to the through the fault of anyone, but it is difficult to change. It, it definitely is. And so, how do you start to integrate these solutions without um, without putting anybody's job in in jeopardy? Truly, and how do you make it more of a collaboration? You know, and there was like a there was a really great book that was written. I think it was published by Harvard Business Review. And it was, um, I think it's called Human and AI. And I can, I can definitely send you this um, later because I don't remember the exact title, but it was something about reimagining work uh, when you know in an AI-powered world. Mm. And it's, you know, as an AI leader, you then have to start to think about um, how does my, how do the products that I'm building actually support people versus taking the place of, right? And companies who do this and do this very well are succeeding. And those that are replacing humans with automation are actually losing out. And they're starting to see declines in sales and productivity and everything, right? Mm. You, still, you have to have that, uh, that human connection. And so it's just how do you upskill people? You know, I do think a lot about that. How do you train people? How do you educate them? How do you make sure they're not scared of the technology? But ultimately, how can you also lead a charge where, um, you know, you do have a little bit more of a voice in terms of how you ethically implement AI solutions? And so those are some of the things I think about for sure.
2: I'm I'm picking up some signals around behavioral analysis or cycle metrics or, you know, not necessarily cycle analysis, but Hmm. is that... Because I, I, I am aware that many companies are hesitant to go in, dip their toes into uh, machine learning or AI. Um, they, they're just afraid of it, afraid of the transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like what you're bringing out is you have to think that through as part of enabling any kind of machine learning model that, that's gonna either predict a behavior or guide a behavior.
1: Yeah, you absolutely have to build that into into how you produce, right? It's the the Mm -hmm. products themselves because um, like say for instance with, you know, the creative solution, for example, the way that that might change a a creative's job is that instead of just, you know, thinking through, oh, this is, I like red more than blue. Now you have a data-driven tool to, to actually be able to use in order to make that decision, Right. But then, at the same time, you have to make sure that the AI is actually giving you the right data. Does it make sense? You still have to have that ability to kind of interrogate the model. Mm-hmm. And so, the way that it changes everything inside of a company is that you then have to, you have to um, train these people up, you have to involve them in the process of building the actual model. How do you educate them? How do you involve them, right? This is the training data set. Do you understand it? Do you understand these outputs or do you understand the inputs that are going into the model, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time though, they have to say, hey, I don't think this data actually makes sense, but um, but maybe this is kind of what we should basically shift the data. So now they're starting to get an understanding of the training data set, they're they're understanding the inputs uh, of how the model is actually training. And then throughout the process, you have to be able to explain it to them as well, right? Here is how the AI is making its decisions. Does this look right to you? Does it not? Because you are still the expert. And then from there, you basically say, okay, now this is done. Now run it, let's run experiments, make sure that it's viable and that it works. But at the same time, don't always trust it. Like you cannot always trust a, a model. You cannot always trust an AI. Because you know, depending on the training data set, something could be off. Mm-hmm. And so you still have to have that expertise in order to make that final decision. And also to let us know, hey, something is wrong with this model. I think we should retrain it because the outputs I'm getting don't seem right.
2: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: yep. So along the way, you have to educate people to start thinking that way versus just taking AI and saying, yeah, what the AI is saying is right and let's just go with it, right?
2: So again, picking up signals as we're chatting, um, that sounds to really me like there, there's a need for uh, the creation of a lot of telemetry uh, that helps us understand how the model's executing. Is that That's part right. of what is that part of your process to, to make sure that the model is designed with the telemetry being produced as well?
1: Absolutely, I think explainable AI is so important. You have to be able to understand what the what the output or how it's making its decisions. I mean, obviously, you know, through all the algorithms and different things like that, there's a lot of black boxes mm-hmm. inside the models themselves. But um, but you have to you have to be able to explain. Here's the data. Here's what the AI can do. Here's what it cannot do, and it has to be fully transparent. You know, to internal internal teams as well as to any clients who you're executing it for.
2: Mm-hmm. You, you touched on ethics a little bit. Um, given I'm, I'm seeing um, evidence that there's going to be some new legislature put in place around the world around the ethical use of, of machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, in the United States, I think it's the Algorithmic Accountability Act that's mm-hmm. uh, going through Congress right now. How do you how do you do the ethics review part when you're building and explaining and Preparing to to deploy a model.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes into that goes into um, defining exactly what ethics mean as well. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because ethics could be: is this model biased? Is the data biased towards any specific um, segment or or whatever that may be? Or is it? Are you even are you building ethical AI products in terms of? Um, Like, just to give you an example, with uh, data robot and auto machine learning platforms that are coming, you know, and and data robot is one of many, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone with a data set can start to build AI solutions and deploy them instantly. You Mm -hmm. don't have have special knowledge. You do not have to be a specialized data science in order to take advantage of these technologies. So if any bad character has some sort of data set that they then want to quickly build a model around and deploy in the marketplace, how do you stop them from doing that as well, right? Because instantly you could be sitting on, you know, 15, 20 different machine learning models that could could wreak havoc on any situation. And so I think it's a broader conversation. It's not just about the data that goes in, but it's also about it, how it's being deployed, who is building it and what are they building it for?
2: Yeah, and, and then if it was built for a particular use and yeah. you want to reuse it, um, you have to be cautious of that as well, right? Mm-hmm. If I built, for example, if I built a credit risk scoring algorithm for South, um, California, Southern California or Southern LA, is it ethical for me to take that same model and deploy it in Boston? Exactly. Right. Okay. okay. So even though the model itself doesn't have <clears throat> Unintended bias upon the creation and deployment. If it gets reused, it could unintended bias could show up. Is that mm-hmm. part of? It? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. And then, and at the same time, though, you know, if you do have people who don't have a data science background or data, or even co- or even thinking about these ethical things in the data set, mm-hmm. and they just throw it in and they just say, "Hey, I can build a model too. Here you go," and mm-hmm. they deploy it and have used bad data, you know. Uh, without truly understanding all the different implications around it. Um, yeah, it's going yeah. to it's going to be a super, super important conversation for sure.
2: Well, those are the kind of things that would keep me up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with all this excitement, all this agility, all these concerns around moving technology landscapes, the potential for new leg- legislation, we understand what's keeping you up in there, but how do you keep your balance? How do you keep your, your, your emotional and energy balance and intact?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult, right? Especially since we're all in this digital space. And so I think we're all kind of suffering from Zoom Zoom fatigue. Um, <laughs> but I, I paint a lot. I, I paint, I do yoga, I do meditation. I have a really bad knee, so I can't really run or walk. So I, I ride my Peloton quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Do all those types of things. But I, I always go back to... You know, you, I think you have to have a great, uh, or you have to have a great understanding of what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your ultimate goals? What are your objectives? What do you want to achieve? You know, you have to have a fundamental understanding of who you are and what you want to do. And by doing that, you can reshift your focus. Um, I think that there is, um, there was a book I was reading, they they call it Mindset or, or Mindsight. It's actually Mindsight. Mindset. And it's your ability to focus yourself from, from certain situations. So as an example, like say I'm going into a super stressful meeting I'm presenting or different things like that. And, but ultimately I know my, my ultimate purpose and goal in life is to do this thing. And so you're able to shift your focus because you're able to say, wait a minute, this meeting it's super stressful and I'm super you know nervous about it. But in the grand scheme of things it doesn't affect my goal in any way, even if I fail. Like even if it doesn't work out or even if I, if I mess up or whatever it might be, does it affect my long-term goal and what I'm ultimately trying to achieve? And you're like, no, it actually really doesn't. If I bomb this meeting, nothing nothing's going to happen to me, right? Mm. So you have to have a really, really good understanding of your purpose and your goal uh, because that allows for you to shift your focus. Same thing with values as well, Right. Because ultimately, if you say, you know, my family is the most important thing in my life, and are they going to be really mad at me if I if I fail at something? No, they're not. They're still going to love me. And if you have kind of that sense, you're you then have the ability to kind of shift your focus in the direction you want to shift it to, towards.
2: Yeah. So these objectives are, they're not just career objectives. You're balancing them in with your personal mm-hmm. objectives and your family and probably some spiritual aspect. And, exactly. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, I uh, I do know that that uh, painting behind you was one of your yeah. works.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh.
2: <laughs> An exam example of your meditation. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, What a what a phenomenal story. Um, I just uh, I I am so impressed with the with with the whole what you are achieving inside of Indijer. Um, and and I hope people on the call um get a glimpse of the art of the possible here, um because. Here at great data Management, We're really pushing, you know, kind of, you know, the whole self-service model, including AI, right? And, yeah, and, uh, and so, I hope more and more people see that, that opportunity because there's incredible, intrinsic, unlocked value waiting to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: So you've
2: got absolutely. a great story, Heidi. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Uh,
1: thank you, Mike.
2: Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Yeah, Kaylee, we yeah. have a call to action.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to connect with Heidi and, um, you know, kind of open up a discussion with her, let me put her LinkedIn into the chat. You can, of course, find her at Heidi Bailey on LinkedIn, but I've got the link right here too. So let me drop this in here. Um, This is a fascinating discussion, Heidi. I love what you just said about having your own personal purpose and your mission and your goal, and then moreover, using that as a way to either de-escalate your own personal stress or um, kind of like what we talked about before we got on the line about like having something that you're afraid of, if it is aligned with your goal, there's also a, sort of a freedom in that because you're like, oh, I have to do this. I have really mm-hmm. no choice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic advice. Um, okay, so I've dropped um, Heidi's uh, LinkedIn um, into the mm-hmm. chat, and I would welcome anybody who wants to join us on any of our future sessions. You can, of course, find us at greatdataminds.com um, forward slash events. Um, and I just I thank everybody for joining us today and especially a big thanks to you, Heidi. This is a fascinating conversation. A lot well, of good takeaways. for
1: having me. This was really fun. Yeah. All
0: right.
1: Great. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful Bye. day. Bye, everybody.